We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Labor Day, September 6th, 2021, as we bring you a new episode. I hope you have the day off, possibly sipping on some coffee or a beer while listening to this. Despite what your boss says, you deserve the time off. On this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, we recap the series in Kansas City. Boy, it's been an uneven last 48 games for the White Sox. They are just 25-23 and 23 since the All-Star break, which is alright. But for every Saturday night where the offense explodes for 10 runs, you also get Friday and Sunday games where they struggle to muster any kind of offense. Adding to that feast and famine run production, the White Sox pitching really struggled in Kansas City, which they allowed 20 runs in three games. Last week, we spoke about where the White Sox starting pitchers rank in the American League Cy Young race. Well, this unit might be fading. Carlos Rodon, because of shoulder fatigue, will not pitch in the upcoming Oakland series. Lucas Giolito joins Lance Lynn on the injured list. And man, what has happened to Dallas Keuchel? We'll discuss the current state of the White Sox starting pitching in a moment. We'll also preview the upcoming series as the White Sox head out west to face those Oakland Athletics who just got swept by the Toronto Blue Jays and now are in third place in the American League West as here come the Seattle Mariners. We'll landscape the current playoff situation as we are just a month away from the start of the American and National League Divisional Series. At the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. On Sunday, I decided to skip watching the White Sox game to go see the new Shane Chi movie. So... What did I miss on Sunday? You really didn't miss much. When Eloy Jimenez's defense is the star of the show, that's usually not a great thing. <laughs> and not because of you know, Jimenez. He had made a couple of nice plays, a sliding grab and a catch on the warning track. But really, that was all there was to report positively. I mean, 
Dylan Cease had a bad first inning. He usually has one bad inning. It just happened to be a f- the first. Gave up a three-run homer. Sal Perez, like, not great, but at least, you know, it's kind of what you expect from him and that he toughed it out to get through five innings isn't bad, but just there was really just no offense to speak of. And so, you know, I guess the the takeaway was even if Cease pitched better, he would have had to be basically the elite version of himself to uh, give the White Sox a chance. So Salvador Perez, huge series again. And he's not only catching Shohei Otani, Uh, In regards to the home run race, as for a catcher to hit 40-plus home runs in a season is amazing. But now he's got more than 100 RBIs on the season. He's got 102. He's one RBI behind Jose Abreu. Uh, Jim, should we be worried about Abreu winning the RBI title with the way that Salvador Perez is hitting? It's possible. I mean, uh, it kind of reminds me of last year when it seemed like the White Sox might have given Jose Ramirez the uh, MVP based on the way he closed out the season and specifically closed out the season against the White Sox with a bunch of heroics. So, uh, yeah, I guess in that case, Abreu still won the MVP. So, you know, if precedence holds, and I'm, and, and these are exact precedents uh, that, that certainly have no weaknesses whatsoever comparing them one to another, it would stand a reason that Abreu will still hold out and win it. But uh, yeah, uh, Perez is making it close. And, you know, part of it is, you know, the, it was a frustrating series partially because, uh, you know, the, Craig Kimbrell makes it look so easy, uh, you know, getting Perez to strike out by throwing him nothing in the strike zone. But then like Dylan Cease tries nothing in the strike zone and gives up a three-run homer just because the pitch that wasn't in the strike zone was still too close for him. And I think that, uh, you know, that speaks to just how wide of a plate he hits with and how, um, you know, he scares pitchers away from throwing inside. Like they don't want to miss inside. They don't want to miss inner half. So they try to go away. And if they don't miss away well enough, he can still square it up and hit the ball 450 feet. So he's really turned out to be an impressive hitter, at least like a hitter who can really channel his power in impressive ways. Yeah. Salvador Perez, 41 home runs now. 102 RBIs. That is a monster offensive season. I will say though, I, I've I've mentioned this before, is that I remember like growing up and and you know reading the back of baseball cards, and I always thought it was disappointing when a hitter didn't have at least three RBIs for any homer or for every homer. Like I always thought it was ugly when I saw like a 30 homer season and like 80 RBIs, but I thought it was cool if somebody had like a Tony Gwynn season where they hit like nine homers and drove in a hundred, like I, for some reason, I always liked at least three, you know, if not four RBIs. So I think a still has the more aesthetically beautiful, uh, RBI line. I'm looking at his home. Yeah. He's got 28 homers. So like that's a nice, you know, four to one ratio basically, uh, you know, or, or you know, close to four to one. And, uh, he's got that going for him. So, you're such That's an nice. old soldier because I have only heard this argument one other time. And it comes from my fiance, Kim's dad, Roy, who is in his mid sixties in which he says the same thing because we would have conversations about Mike Trout and he'd be like, well, Mike Trout hits 45 homers, but he only drives in 90. Like how valuable is he? Yeah, it's not so much like a value argument, just because, right. you know, in some of those years, like Mike Trout batted leadoff and had nobody in front of him. Exactly. So, but I think it's the years where it's like, you know, like an Adam Dunn year or the Todd Frazier year. I'm looking I'm looking up his RBI total from the well, year like that he Well, like Shohei Otani right now has 43 home runs and 93 RBIs. 
So outside of his home runs, Otani's not really driving in a ton of runs. Well, I'll give you an example. Like Todd Frazier in 2016, 40 homers, 98 RBIs. And, you know, watching him uh, go about his business with the White Sox, like that was just because he popped up a ton. Like he did not right. have many productive hits around those homers. So that's the kind of, you know, uh, one I'm talking about. Like when it's a leadoff guy uh, or a top of the order guy in a case like the Angels just having, you know, nobody driving or getting pitched around anytime there's the threat of driving in a run. Uh, you know, that's one thing. But when it's like Frazier, middle of the order hitter, who's not, you know, who's never drove in a hundred and he had a, uh, 35 and 89 for Reds the year before 40 and 98. Yeah. Those are kind of ugly ones to me. So I've always appreciated when, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know why it's just, uh, I think it's a matter of just seeing the looking at baseball card after baseball card, after baseball card growing up and just being drawn to that. Like, Oh, that's a really good season. If, if you, uh, you know, if you only hit 20 homers and drove in a hundred and something, cause that means a lot of your other hits did stuff too then you would be fascinated looking at a 2021 Joey Gallo baseball card. 31 homers, 68 RBIs, 102 walks, 182 strikeouts, just 12 doubles and one triple. Yeah, that's that's perverted to me. <laughs> that's his, that is, Those are his numbers right now for the 2021 season. But it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I have heard that one other time and uh you you have a reputation jim that mm-hmm. that precedes you so <laughs> i am uh yeah i would say the medium median range or age of guesses for my uh you know when, when people try to nail me down is probably like 61 <laughs> i'm sorry i shouldn't be laughing you're like what two three years older than me <laughs> yep <laughs> but i have never heard of that movie you went to until today <laughs> I can't even uh, say it because I forgot the name of it as soon as you said it, but it's, it's a Marvel movie. I (laughs) I don't think it's your, I'm I'm O for Marvel. I'll put it that way. All right. Uh, Well, let's talk about the state of the white Sox pitching staff. Cause on Sox machine live, the previous episode of this podcast. So if you want to pause right now and go back to the conversation that we had uh, before the weekend, when we talked about all of the injuries that the White Sox were dealing with, like with Tim Anderson going on the injured list, and we were correct that Lucas Giolito did go on the injured list as his bullpen session on Friday was was not good enough for the White Sox to prevent him going on the injured list. Uh, shortly after the Sunday loss, uh, Tony La Russa spoke to the media about Carlos Rodon because Carlos Rodon was supposed to be, make his scheduled start on Tuesday, but was not. And Larusa said, it's not a decision that you like doing. We like Carlos Rodon pitching, but he's still not experiencing the good feeling, whether it's fatigue and a little soreness. But right now we're hoping he can pitch against the Red Sox over the weekend, but there are no guarantees there. When he doesn't feel right, it's impossible to push it. You don't even dare even think of it, but we do miss him in the rotation. Jimmy Lambert is going to start in Rodon's place on Tuesday, which we'll discuss about that point later in the show. So the, now the White Sox are without Rodon, mm-hmm. and they're without Lucas Giolito this upcoming week. Maybe they get Lance Lynn back. Thankfully, Dylan Cease is healthy to keep going, but your current White Sox rotation for this week is looking Jimmy Lambert, Dallas Keuchel, Dylan Cease, Reynaldo Lopez, and maybe Lance Lynn. 
The White Sox are 79 and 58. They got a nine and a half game lead over Cleveland. The magic number is 18. They are just a half game back of Houston for the second seed and have home field advantage uh, as the Astros play a series against Seattle. So it's a tight race with the Astros for that, what I think is important home field advantage for the first postseason series. So I totally understand the concept of giving guys starts off to save the bullets. But Jim, I'm now a bit concerned on how Carlos Rodon's shoulders reacting after starts. And I wonder if this starting pitching staff, which has carried so much of the workload this season, is beginning to fade a bit. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, this is, uh, um, you know, we've we talked about it before when it comes to October baseball versus regular season baseball and how I've always just, uh, you know, when it comes to changes to the game and, and expanding the postseason, making the game postseason centric, it's, uh, yeah, I've had the argument that, you know, I prefer preserving the importance of the regular season, making division titles count for something just because, you know, and and part of my reason is seasons like this to where the wheels kind of come off at the end and you just feel like, what, you know, what the hell did I just watch this for? Like 165 games. What was the point? And, and, you know, I think there is a point to the first 162, you know, building the team, but yeah, it is pointing that way right now. And I wrote about Rodon, you know, after his start and just uh, being like, it's, you know, the, the velocity isn't there. Um, you know, it, I guess the good news is you'd rather see Rodon maintaining 93 ish for an entire start, which he kind of did, uh, versus, you know, having him start at 96 and then, uh, petering out to like 91, 90 by the end of a start. That's, I think the more worrisome form of shoulder or elbow injury when you just see it like just giving way. So that is the one thing that heartens me a bit and makes me think like, you know, maybe this is just kind of a really delayed dead arm period like you sometimes hear in spring training or earlier in the season just coming around later for him and having a hard time shaking it uh but yeah it it didn't look great watching him just because uh yeah we've talked about it i wrote about just saying that rodan the thing that made him special this year is that he can dial it up to like 97 98 100 you know in the third time through when he's going fifth sixth seventh innings and he, that basically makes him his own reliever. And in this case, like he's not his own reliever. He doesn't have the changeup he's going too much this year. So he's really just a two-pitch pitcher. And like most two-pitch pitchers, like it, it's, it's harder to get a third time through just because you run out of ideas, your stuff isn't as sharp, and hitters generally know what they're looking at now. So I think that's really the, you know, I think what I'm weighing with Rodon is, you know, should he come back and, and say he misses another week and comes back and, this version is more or less here. The one who throws 93 can sometimes, you know, grunt it up to 96, but really it's not a difference making velocity the way it was earlier in the year. Uh, it, it makes me think he's more like a, you know, fourth, fifth starter, you know, not rather than that Cy Young candidate that we'd been talking about for the entire year. So it does change the postseason strategy. I guess it does make me worried about his, yeah, well, I guess there are two reasons not to worry about his long-term health. One is that, you know, he, doesn't have the signs of tailing off, which I think is you know, a bigger flag for body part completely failing on him. But also just like, well, he's a free agent at the end of the year. You know, that doesn't mean you abuse him, but it also means like the long-term ramifications are, which is more unfortunate for him than the White Sox. So I think for this year, there's a balance between, you know, trying to get him to contribute to the 2021 postseason without being cruel about it. If he, you know, doesn't have enough to answer the bell. But I think right now, with what he's shown the last two times out, it's enough to help 
And whether that means uh, you know, having him paired with Michael Kopech or Reynaldo Lopez, um, you know, having uh, a lefty-righty combo uh, and, and between Lopez and, and Kopech, those are two righties who are also limited to two to three innings maybe uh, with the way the form Lopez showed up last time. And that might be the way you have to consider it. Um, you know, maybe not having Rodon take care of an entire game, but uh, open one up and see how it goes. My concern with Rodon is the recovering after a start. I don't think he he's the pitcher that can make two starts in a five-game series. I'm not exactly sold, Jim, if Rodon can make two starts in American League Championship Series or World Series setting. Yeah, it's hard to know whether um, you know the rest they're giving him is because they want to see his fastball get up to 96 versus 93, and that's the way they're going to try to do it. Yeah, that, that's, I, I think, the, the biggest question mark to me is whether he's, you know, hurt or injured. We talked about this before, like whether he's just dead arm, but like nothing structurally unsound. It's just more of a season-long fatigue that's limiting him, but you're not doing any damage by having him out there. Or whether it's, you know, you just parts are failing on him slowly but surely. Uh, it's, uh, you know, either one is not great, but at least one, you generally know what you're getting start to start. So I'm just... I would hope by the end of the month, you know, like maybe the last two weeks of September, that's when you start seeing like a start on regular rest, just to know whether it's a recovery thing, you know, whether he needs seven days between starts or whether just, you know, that form isn't coming back this year. So uh, the 93 will come back every four days. The 96 is not coming back for, you know, maybe another year. Uh, That's, I think, the biggest question here. It really changes as far as the strategy and the expectations then of the White Sox pitching staff in the postseason. Because if we revisit our conversations in July, we're thinking, oh man, the White Sox are in great position. Rodon game one, Lynn game two, Giolito game three, Cease game four, or maybe go back to Rodon uh, if he can go on short rest for game four. But now I'm thinking, yeah, Rodon will need to make or will need five to seven days rest in between starts. And the way that they have this postseason schedule set up, Jim, for October, as it is possible that we'll have baseball going into early November, I just, I'm doubtful at this moment that Rodon, based on how the White Sox have treated Rodon all season long because they've given him extra days off whenever possible to help save that shoulder that if this is how they are reacting to Rodon after not even hitting 80 pitches in a start, I I am wondering that he's a guy that makes one start per series. You still want him to make that start because it could be an outstanding start and it will put the White Sox in position to win. But if you're a White Sox fan expecting Rodon to make multiple starts in a American League Championship Series or World Series setting, Jim, I I really don't know if he can do that. Yeah, I I think right now if you're looking at like a, a well a five game setup, yeah, he wouldn't be one of the guys going twice. It would no, be he wouldn't be that. But in guy. seven game series, I can see him in this current form starting a game four and then being part of an all hands on deck game seven. You, you wouldn't like start him in a game seven, oh, okay. expecting him to go like five or six, but maybe if they want him to go three against like Got a lineup it. that, you know, might be suited to, you know, for him to exploit 
I, I think that might be a, a, a case where it could be used, but it would be more situational rather than, uh, you know, counting on him to dominate no matter what. We did get this uh, question emailed to us by one of our Patreon supporters, Chris Kreb. So Chris, shout out to you. Chris wrote to us over the weekend. After watching Dallas Keuchel implode again against the Royals, I'm on board with him not being on the playoff roster, but I'm also on board with Josh's idea of Dylan's season game two of the postseason, and I like to see rotation Rodon, Cease, Lynn, Gilito in the first round. However, what if the White Sox lose game one? Would you change the rotation or would you still let Cease go in game two? But in Chris's hypothetical, Jim, would you go Rodon game one or would you have Rodon save him for game three or be really cute and see if you can sweep the American League Divisional Series to give extra days off for him so he starts game one of the American League Championship Series? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think with him, um, you know, I guess that depends on, you know, what kind of form Lynn and Gilito show coming off the injured list. Like if they're more or less where they left off, you know, maybe Lynn, you know, a couple starts before he went on the injured list, uh, you know, the, the seven innings he threw, like, I think you trust him. You And then if Giolito shows the form that he showed before going on the shelf, like, I think that's a pretty straightforward one, two to me, like cease, you know, just with, with the, you know, start he hit against the Royals. I think that's kind of characteristic of how he goes, which is, one inning where he, he just starts pulling everything, the, the pitching machine becomes miscalibrated and starts firing a lot of things in the left-handed batter's box. And it takes him a while to get right. It takes him like 25 pitches to get right, and it's just a matter of whether he can keep another team from doing damage against uh, him while he's weak. And I think depending on the lineup, if it's like a Astros-grade lineup, I think it becomes you know a tougher sell. So I still think I would go uh, Lynn, Giolito, Cease, and then, uh, depending on Rodon and, and depending on, you know, how he looks, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, extra rest would ultimately be what might give him a chance versus, you know, him not giving you a chance. I think maybe you try to get by without him, but, uh, right. otherwise I think it's, you know, you just try to do what I you know, suggested with a lefty righty combo, try to get through six. Do you buy home and away splits for a starting pitcher? Uh, not so much. Okay. Not, not as much as other ones. Yeah, because if I recall correctly, Dylan Cease has a pretty significant home and away split for this uh, 2021 season where he pitches better at guarantee rate field than he does on the road. So maybe that plays a factor as well. If the White Sox have home field, if they're playing at guarantee rate field games one and two, would you try to give Cease a home start instead of having him start on the road? I'm looking at his home splits, right? You 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 are correct that his ERA is a lot better, two point five three versus. I'm not sure. I'm looking at baseball yeah, reference, so it doesn't include away. Away is five point three seven. Yeah, that's before the Royal starts. But when you look at his other peripherals, like more homers at home, uh, the walk rate is the same. Strikeouts are up, but you know, just otherwise, it comes down to hit suppression. Um, that's where I'm. Not quite sure. Like the other where I would buy into that stat too much. Like if you were somehow suppressing all the stats you count on to project a performance, I would say like, yeah, go for it. I'm also, I'm, I'm looking up his game log just to see who he's faced at home to see if that makes a difference. <laughs> Cause I know he had a big disparity, especially early in the season based on uh, the opponents he was facing. So let's see. Yeah. On the road he's faced, that's when he's faced Toronto 
uh, Yankees, Angels, Astros, Reds, Red Sox on the road. Home, Rangers, A's. So he's one and one with the Yankees. Uh, but he's faced the Twins three times, the Royals three times, Detroit twice, Cubs, Baltimore. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think that has more to do with the opponent quality. Got it. Than home comfort. Okay. I'm glad we're talking this through because it's almost a three-run difference yeah. <laughs> as far as ERA uh, between home and away, and I was wondering if that would factor. But I'm looking at the, uh, into the, the eleven, making the ten as well. plus. He did have that start against Houston where he struck out ten, but he also gave up three runs over five and two thirds. But the other uh, ten strike outings were uh, Royals, uh, Tigers, Cubs, Orioles, and then a nine strikeout outing over seven innings against the Tigers again. So yeah, well, he is a Tiger tamer for a reason. Yep. Uh, all right. So that's Carlos Rodon. We talked a little bit about Dylan Cease and with Giolito and Lynn, do you buy, do you still buy the idea, especially with Lucas Giolito saying that he thinks the team is being cautious right now, put him on the injured list that with Giolito's injury, it's out of caution. I'm more optimistic in his assessments of himself than other (laughs) assessments. So, uh, I would say, yeah, I, I'm fairly confident like the, that Larusa hedged it a bit. I, I guess that almost makes me feel better than if Larusa said, he'll be back in 10 days because like Adam Engel's, uh, uh, rehab sent keeps getting pushed back with his injury. Uh, so it just kind of makes me think like, well, they've been over-optimistic before. So I'd rather see them guard against over-optimism by saying like, well, he could be back in 10 days, but I'd rather not say it because he might not be. And then we're just disappointing people. So I'm still fairly confident in him, but I, I think when it comes to the assessment of other pitchers, that's when I'm less, like he said, Rodon was fine. I was like, no, no, no I don't think I know about that. And then, you know, he said Dallas Keuchel was close and Keuchel just keeps getting further away. Yeah. Let's talk about Keuchel. Segway. What, what, what's going on here? Seems like it's just, you know, it's almost like a, um, well, it reminds me of like a Mark Burley late season fade. I talked about the postseason roster, like him being my uh, go-to for like leaving a veteran pitcher, a well-respected veteran pitcher, a well-compensated veteran pitcher off a postseason roster. And that's just Burley ran out of gas in his final year at Toronto. There were four pitchers better than him who gave more of a shot. And, you know, he wasn't happy about it, but he accepted it. Uh, and he was there supporting his teammates. And, that's, you know, kind of what Keiko looks like to me. Like he needs an off season to figure it out. It's just the way he goes about his business. Like I, I tweeted this and, and, you know, kind of, I tweet like impressions early on when it's just more like, yeah, I use the word seem because I don't know, but it's just kind of what the eye test is telling me. And it basically like, it seems like if he can get outs in three pitches, he's okay. But like once hitters get an idea of everything he's going to throw, like, oh, there's a cutter in. Oh, there's a changeup floating away. There's a sinker that's low and away. Like, just, you know, once he sees three pitches, like, he just runs out of ideas. Like, just, uh, you know, oh, yeah, he might get, like, one changeup topped to the left side. Or he might get, you know, one sinker beaten to the ground or a cutter in on the hands too much or low and away swung over. But just the second time he tries to get it, it's not there. Well, whether he just misses more, whether, you know, he just executed really well the first time and he just can't get buy with anything less than the best execution or whether he just, you know, it's, you know, a trick that people get used to seeing pretty quickly, or maybe just, you know, velocity has spiked in the game to where when you see those pitches coming in in like 83 to 88, 
uh, there's just more time to spit on it. But that's just how it looks to me. Like he had that inning against the Royals, seven pitches in the first inning, but then like the other two are more of slogs, battles. And it just seems like he just needs those, those bats over as quickly as possible. Um, just because when they don't, uh, just little good comes of it. Yeah, a month away from the divisional series, looking at the White Sox starting pitching staff, if Lynn and Gilito, as you mentioned, Jim, are close to 100%, along with Dylan Cease, I'm feeling really good about those three. I feel really good about a rested Carlos Rodon, but I don't feel good about the chances of Rodon making multiple starts in a postseason series, which may mean that Rodon may have to go game three or game four to give him a lot of rest um, between starts. Mm -hmm. So he can possibly hit 96 plus miles per hour on his fastball and try to regain some of the elite stuff that he had um, prior to the all-star break. And if he can, then the White Sox are in a terrific position. But I... Right now, it's just, this week's going to be tough. Let's just call it now. It's going to be a tough week for the White Sox to navigate this series against Oakland and then the weekend series against the Boston Red Sox. Especially if Lynn does not return to make a start against Boston, if Giolito can't make a start against Boston, if Rodon can't make a start against Boston. Hopefully the White Sox offense shows up because they're going to have to win some slugfests. Because uh, it's just going to be it's just going to be a tough week for the White Sox to get through uh, with these injuries that the that's happening with the pitchers and Dallas Keuchel being ineffective and right now you really can't count on more than three to five innings from him. So then you got Dylan Cease mm-hmm. along with Ronaldo Lopez that's still trying to find himself, and then Jimmy Lambert, which we'll talk about Lambert later in the show. It, it's not ideal. And again, as I mentioned before, we, you know, earlier getting, you know, talking about this segment, it's a nine and a half game lead for over Cleveland. So for those that are not concerned, they'll keep pointing to that number. But for those White Sox fans that are concerned, they're going to point at the half game back of Houston for the second seed and say, this is an opportunity for the White Sox to get ahead of Houston So the Astros are coming to the south side of Chicago for games one and two. And if there is a game five, it's being played at home instead of starting the series in Houston. And uh, I I can see both points of view, depending on on how you want to look at the numbers right now for the Chicago White Sox. But are you leaning any one or the other? I think home field advantage is important for the White Sox because this team just plays much better baseball at home. I'm leaning more towards nine and a half just because they really need everybody back. They do. Like if yes. they, if, if they have home field advantage somehow with cease Keiko Lopez starting the three games or yeah, like cease and then making it up as they go along for the other two. Um, I don't think that matters so much. So just the nine and a half game lead, do what you have to do to try to get everybody back. Yes. So I would put the onus on the offense we know you can score 10 runs in a game. It'd be nice that it was, you know, more evenly distributed. <laughs> I get yeah. it. When your pitching staff gives up 20 runs in three games, that's a, that's a lot to overcome. It'd just be, it'd be nice to be a little bit more consistent, you know, have multiple games in a row where you score five plus runs. We know this offense can definitely do it. 
So for this upcoming week, while the White Sox pitchers are trying to get healthy and taking some days off, it, it is definitely time for the White Sox offense to hit a, a hot streak. And it would be nice if they could just find a way to score four-plus runs in each of these games against the Athletics and the Red Sox so they can take off some of the pressure on those making starts and then give the opportunity for Kopech, Kimbrel, Crochet, Bummer, and Hendricks to get the ball when the White Sox have the lead late in games and shut it down. That's that's the hope, at least. So we'll see how mm-hmm. this week goes for the White Sox. But, you know, fingers crossed uh, the White Sox starting pitchers get healthy uh, before the end of the season. Or it's going to kind of feel like the way that 2020 ended for the White Sox, which was like, who's left to pitch? All right, so a game situation that I want to give props to Tony La Russa for that I liked, and I, I hope we see more of this, especially with the postseason coming up, Jim. On Saturday night, when the White Sox won, in the seventh inning, Tony La Russa went to Craig Kimbrell, and no one, nobody else, and so instead of the conversation of who should get the eighth inning, Kimbrell or Hendricks, La Russa went to Kimbrell in the seventh inning because Whit Merrifield was due to bat, so he wanted Kimbrell to take on Merrifield. And if anyone got on base, Salvador Perez would get a chance to hit. So up by two runs with a runner on first, we did get that matchup between Kimbrell and Perez. And you mentioned earlier in the show, Jim, Kimbrell won that battle as he was like the only one that could find a way to strike out Perez ending that threat. And I really liked that from La Russa going to Kimbrell in the seventh inning because that was the highest leverage situation for that game even if it was a save opportunity. And it gives me hope that this coaching staff for the White Sox understands that when you have two viable closers in Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks, that trying to save them for what you may think would be a high leverage situation in the eighth or ninth inning, that high leverage situation may never come. That high leverage situation may come in the sixth or seventh inning and not be afraid to go to one of those two to get out of that dicey situation and Kimbrell made it happen. I like the response, uh, you know, with, with the whole debate over Kimbrell and whether he, you know, can't pitch the eighth inning and whether, you know, because of his closer experience, he should be handling the ninth. And Larissa said, no, give him the seventh. <laughs> I enjoyed that response that, that uh, warmed my heart a little bit. And it also warmed my heart to, you know, as you mentioned that Kimbrell showed up and struck out the side and uh, looked, you know, really challenging to hit while doing it. Like the fastball had the ride, like even the fastball that he like, it was basically a show me fastball to Perez, but he got it up. He got it over the plate, but with enough, uh, ride on it to maybe almost clip the corner. Like it, it locked up Perez the way that ceases fastball, which was three miles per hour harder, but lower in the zone. Couldn't like, you know, he was on ceases fastball off the plate. He did not, you know, he kind of flinched at Kimbrell's high fastball, even though it was closer, I think, to being a strike than Cease's was. That was the kind of life you want to see. They just the the sliders that make hitters look foolish, or the knuckle curves, I should say, that make hitters look foolish, and and the fastball with movement. So I'm hoping that, you know, with the last two outings he's shown, one was against Pittsburgh, you know, in the eighth inning, uneventful. Uh, and then the other against uh, you know, the as you mentioned, the the highest leverage situation in that game against uh, Kansas City and Kansas City's best hitter, like he showed up. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, these are the two outings that uh, kind of put that whole thing behind him. I hope so too, because that's the way that Kimbrell and Hendricks should be used. They are the two best relievers 
And when it comes to the postseason, especially if you got like runners on the corners and one out and it's a two run game, I hope Larusa goes to Kimbrell. And I hope Kimbrell is mentally ready to know this is a jam. This is why I was brought to the White Sox. This is why so many people think highly of me that I'm a possible future Hall of Famer. I need to come in and get out of this jam because I think he's going to be facing those situations come the postseason for the White Sox. And against Kansas City, it, it worked out perfectly. And that, that was great to see. So great call, Tony. And good job by Craig Kimbrell to get out of that jam. We are going to take a quick moment for a word from our sponsors. But coming up after the break, we preview the upcoming series at Oakland as the Athletics enter desperation mode to stay alive in the playoff chase. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey guys, we have some updates for our Sox Machine Patreon supporters. First, we now have annual plans. Yes, some of you have been asking for annual plans for like three years. Well, we finally did it. And if you are already a Patreon supporter, you can upgrade your current plan from monthly to annual. And there's a cost saving for doing so as it's just the price of 11 months for a 12 month subscription. Our most popular subscription is the three war plan, which not only gives you the ad free podcast and website, 
plus the bonus content, but the three war and above supporters will get their questions answered in P.O. Socks. Monthly plans are just $3 or take advantage of the new annual plan and pay just $33 for the year. For our 10 war tier, either a $10 a month or a $110 annual subscription, it now comes with our new Socks Machine Pint Glass for either a new subscription or upgrading an existing one. Supplies are limited, so act fast if you want to take advantage of the opportunity to get the new Socks Machine swag by visiting patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Again, that's patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox depart from Kansas City. They have Labor Day off on Monday, but they resume the regular season Tuesday through Thursday at the Oakland Coliseum to face the Athletics. The Athletics are currently 74 and 63. However, in their last 10 games, they have lost six of them, and they just got swept in Toronto by the Blue Jays which has really changed up on how the American League playoff picture works. Because after getting swept by the Blue Jays, the Seattle Mariners swept the Arizona Diamondbacks, which, as far as the competition scale, nowhere near the level of the Blue Jays. But now Seattle moves to second place in the American League West, and they face the first place Houston Astros this week, which that series just got a lot larger. So looking at the American League playoff picture one month away from the divisional series, the number one seed is the Tampa Bay Rays, and they would face the winner of the wild card, which right now is the Boston Red Sox at the New York Yankees. But the Red Sox are just a half game back of the Yankees to see who will be hosting that wild card game. So very interesting race. We'll get back to the wild card standings in a moment. And then, as we mentioned earlier, the Houston Astros are a half game ahead of the White Sox. So if the season were to end today, the White Sox are traveling to Houston for games one and two of the American League Divisional Series. Back to the wild card picture. Seattle is three games back of Boston. And then you got Toronto and Oakland, which are four games back of Boston. So here's Oakland fighting with the American League East teams for however long this season. And at one point, it looked like Oakland was going to get one of the wild card spots. Now they're four games back of the wild card, and they have fallen to third place in their division. They really, really, really need this series against the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox won three out of four at home against the Athletics earlier this season. And the pitching problems for the White Sox are not in their favor. Tuesday, these are 8.40 p.m. Central Time starts. Jimmy Lambert's on the mound for the White Sox. On Wednesday at 8.40, it's Dallas Keuchel again. And on Thursday at 2.37 p.m. Central Time, Renato Lopez will be making the start for the White Sox. And for the Athletics, James Caprillian's making the start on Tuesday. Old friend Frankie Montas is making the start on Wednesday. And on Thursday, it's the lefty Sean Manaya against the White Sox. So, Jim, looking at the pitching problems first, we're going to see Jimmy Lambert on Tuesday. What would you consider a good start from Lambert against Oakland? It would seem like the White Sox are basically using him for three innings. 
So, uh, you know, he only went two his last time out and he's been limited. I don't think he's thrown even six innings starting at Charlotte. So I think really he's looking at like one time through the order uh, and then basically really touch and go from there. Who would follow up behind him? Uh, I think that could be depending on how lefty heavy, because, uh, you know, Oakland has a modular lineup that can, you know, match up against, you know, a pitcher. So I think, you know, if LaRusso wants to try to upset the lineup and, and take away some substitutions from Bob Melvin later, maybe Garrett Crochet would be the guy to go to second time through. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it would be Michael Kopech at this moment. Yeah. But I, but I also think just, you know, if you have Reddy and Lambert and they bring in lefties, then I think you probably go to Crochet, try to have him go two innings, see how he looks, see whether Melvin, you know, decides to swap guys out. And then that gives him more flexibility with matchups later on. Going back to like a righty like Kopech or Tapera, or, or whether he wants to go to the righties like, you know, Kimbrel or Hendricks later in the game. Seems like uh, uh, having Crochet go second would be the best way to try to short circuit that plan. All right. So outside of Jimmy Lambert start on Tuesday, hopefully Dallas Keuchel regains some of his command because even though it's a much bigger ballpark at the Coliseum, the athletics hit Keuchel well. And I'd remember on how game two went at the Coliseum Mm -hmm. against Keuchel, Uh, even though it's very spacious, uh, the athletics made it feel really small against Keuchel and hopefully Ronaldo Lopez bounces back in, in Thursday's start. But as I mentioned, Jim, the athletics need this series. After getting swept by the Blue Jays and now they have fallen to third place in the American League West, I think there was an outside chance or hope that they could possibly catch the Astros to win the American League West. Uh, I I don't think that's going to be possible now uh, as we are talking about this in, in early September. But when you look at the American League playoff picture, what are your thoughts on how it's shaking out? Man, I I don't know. (laughs) It's uh, just everything you're surprised by, I'm surprised by. It looked pretty simple. I don't know, maybe we'd blame the AL East in the way that's gone with the Red Sox and Yankees jostling back and forth for uh, just giving other teams a chance. And the fact that the Red Sox have gotten hot just as everybody's gotten COVID, I think that's probably the best thing to uh, maybe explain just how uh, everything is going as the Red Sox, you know, lose, what, seven players? Uh, Yeah. And manage to... um, you know, still win a series and, and, uh, and torment the uh, Cleveland a little bit. So it, that's, I think maybe just what gets me is just, yeah. When you think like, you know, a team like the Red Sox sliding and then you have, uh, COVID wiping out, uh, a quarter of the roster. That's when you think like, okay, that's the, that's the death blow. You're going to see somebody else slide and take over. And yeah, uh, Oakland gets cold. Seattle gets hot. Yeah. I just, I don't know. That's, uh, I guess my, I don't have a good feeling for any of these teams. Like I liked maybe Toronto, the best of all, like the, you know, kind of the also rans and they're putting up a fight with the way they swept Oakland. But uh, yeah, I'm just hoping when, when it comes to this Oakland series, um, you know, you can look at it two ways. One is that the A's need it more. Like that's, you know, kind of the narrative there. Like, you know, if, if say the A's win the series, they can say, well, they had something to play for the White Sox didn't. Uh, the other thing you can, you can think is if the White Sox win the series that they're just extending the misery and that, you know, Oakland is grasping for any kind of foothold and can't find it. Like just for handhold, I guess they'd be grasping with. <laughs> but uh, uh, grass, just, just trying to find some kind of momentum and just it's always elusive. I can see the White Sox extending their misery. 
to me, like I think watching the Royal series and in watching just kind of the ebbs and flows of the White Sox offense, like I don't think anybody's going to underappreciate Yasmani Grandal for a while. <laughs> like just no. the difference he makes and the depth he has to a lineup, uh, you know, batting lefty, batting righty, uh, batting fifth, being like a, a, you know, not batting in the cleanup hitter, but acting like a cleanup guy, just uh, seeing like he, he delivers the finishing moves for innings. Uh, that's a, a welcome development. And, you know, hopefully with, a, uh, you know, day off two two night games, imagine he should be back in and hopefully, you know, adding some depth to the lineup, which uh, kind of needs it right now. I think with, uh, you know, Tim Anderson out, you know, when he's out, I think the number of guys, the White Sox can swap out a lineup uh, on a given day, just kind of, uh, you know, makes every subsequent loss in the lineup or a day off a lot more harmful. Well, while the White Sox Tuesday through Thursday are playing this series against Oakland, back to the playoff picture, Toronto is visiting the Bronx for a four-game series. And if Toronto continues this hot streak, and let's just say they sweep the Yankees, then they've caught the Yankees in the standings. Yeah. Boston gets a three-game series Monday through Wednesday against Tampa Bay. So that's a huge series for the Red Sox. They need to win that series so we could see more standings shuffling going on in the American League East. And then you have Houston and Seattle in another tussle, which the Mariners are visiting the Astros in Houston for this series. Uh, so big series as far as on on how the wild card race is shaking up. And when we do Sox Machine Live on Thursday, September 9th, Jim, uh, it could be different again mm-hmm. as far as in who is in the wild card. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings, and one thing that surprises me, uh, just looking at the, the run differentials and and trying to look for you know any kind of clue in terms of you know who's going to maybe win out uh, and and try, using Toronto at 128 uh, runs uh, <laughs> yeah. in the positive column and being in fourth place. Yeah, that's kind of the reason I like them. And so maybe they're not out of it just yet. You know, as you mentioned, you know, just a big series against the Yankees can even things up. But I'm looking at the run scored column. And in September, I don't think I could have imagined an outcome where Detroit would have scored more runs than the Yankees. That Yankees offense, other than against the White Sox, they struggle. They really do. Except for against the White Sox. (laughs) Then they look great. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's been an uneven year for the Yankees offense all season long, and for the American League Central, while the White Sox had this three game series against Oakland, uh, Cleveland has a four game series against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, so one is hoping, as a White Sox fan, that the Twins help out the White Sox here <laughs> and at least split that series. Uh, so in case of the White Sox do get swept by Oakland. Uh, that Cleveland just makes up a couple games and we're not talking about a nine and a half game lead all of a sudden becoming a six and a half game lead uh, for the White Sox entering the weekend series against the Boston Red Sox. I mean, for Boston, this is a tough week for them. They host the Rays and they got to turn around. And they got to visit the White Sox. So that's what they're talking about in Boston and how big of a week this is. In New York and Toronto, they're talking about this pivotal four-game series for, Durant, for Toronto. Can they do it again? Can they continue this hot streak? 
that they build off at home against Oakland and can they make up more games against the Red against the Yankees and the Red Sox. And Seattle, I don't know, Jim. If, if the Mariners sweep the Astros in Houston, we're going to have chaos on Thursday in the American League. Yeah, for which we all love, right? When it comes to the playoff yeah, chase. Yeah, 75 and 62 and 46 runs in the red. <laughs> What do you do with that? I don't know what you do with that. You know what you do with that? Uh, you just say it's luck. I don't know what yeah, you fun, say about it. Well, I mean, I, I like the fun differential. <laughs> it is. <laughs> the Mariners lead the league in fun differential. There you go. I mean, they got to be doing amazing in one run games. They have to be. Let's see. They have to be. Yep. 29 and 16. 29 and 16 in one run games. Which is, yeah, I'm looking, just kind of scanning. Yeah, it is the best record in the uh, American League. Although the Angels have the second best record at 22 and 10. Go figure. Yeah, go figure. Go figure. White Sox are 13 and 20. That's not promising, especially with the postseason coming up. Let's hope that uh, let's hope that changes soon. But we will be recapping this series on Thursday, September 9th in the next episode of Sox Machine Live. And we will also have daily recaps for you guys as well with the Sox Machine White Sox wake-up call after the Tuesday and Wednesday game. So definitely tune in for that. Uh, one promotional announcement. I will be joining our friends from the 108. They will be recording their 108th podcast at Crows in the South Loop in Chicago. So if you know Crows and you live in the South Loop area, stop on by. They're going to have a live watch party. I'm going to be there. We can watch Dallas Keuchel hopefully bounce back or get blown up again uh, together. So we'll have some brandy old fashions. <laughs> It'll be a great time. Uh, so again, that is going to be Wednesday, September 8th. And uh, the live show starts at uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, so stop on by. And uh, yeah, when the first pitch happens, we'll watch the game together. And hopefully the White Sox win this time. But you guys had a lot of questions for us. And we're going to answer them next in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where our Patreon supporters at the three war tier and above submitted their questions to us on patreon.com slash socks machine. And if you would like to ask a question or pose a topic for a future episode of the socks machine podcast, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up. Our first question, Jim comes from Andrew Siegel and Andrew wrote to us, should Michael Kopech be sent down to Charlotte for two weeks to work in games that don't matter and give Evan Marshall a chance to see if he can be part of of the postseason bullpen? Uh, no, I don't think with Kopech, you know, you send him down to get Marshall reps. I think there are other guys like Matt Foster, Ryan Burr, Mike Wright, et cetera, et cetera, who would be the guys you send down to give Marshall reps to see what he has. I think with with Kopech, you know, it's he is in an interesting spot. I'm, I'm going to look at him just over the next couple of days, the White Sox being off, just trying to understand, you know, what his deal is because, like, it just seems like he's getting, you know, hit hard or at least, you know, kind of a... You know, like a sequence against the Royals when he gave up two cheap singles, then got hit hard. <laughs> it was just, uh, you don't know if it's just like a bad luck sequencing, if things get away from him, if numbers that the runners on are just ugly. You know, he's having issues from the stretch or something. But 
it is, you know, noteworthy that the White Sox are having all these rotation problems or shortages in the, you know, late in the season. And I think, you know, if you asked us in May what the White Sox would have done in the situation where, you know, Lynn's hurt, Giolito's hurt, Rodon's iffy, uh, Keuchel's wobbly, um, you know, what do you do with that situation? I was like, well, you know, hopefully, you know, have Kopech. Uh, being worked up and you know he still has innings to give and can you know go three to five and that he is not being brought up as a possible starter even in a bullpen game like you know just you, they're not looking at him to go you know give him a chance to go three I think is curious um, yeah I guess the good news is that with the um, you know the, the way the White Sox bullpen is and especially like the addition of Ryan Tapera. Uh, lengthening the bullpen, lengthening what you consider the back end of the bullpen, that Kopech doesn't need to be a difference maker anymore. He's nice, you know, he's, but he's a luxury. If he's, you know, being like a sledgehammer out of the bullpen, you know, if he's just going to be like a iffy mid-leverage guy who might be, you know, overqualified for that kind of work, but also might not be, um, then I think uh, the White Sox are in a pretty good spot if they don't need him to be anything more than that. But it is... A little bit uh, disappointing that he's not being considered here. I just think sending him down to Charlotte, I think sending any pitcher down to Charlotte to straighten out is kind of a fool's errand just because uh, just watching, like, say, what happened with Reynaldo Lopez and how bad his numbers were and how acceptable they've been since he came back just makes me think, like, the chances of, like, a, a, like a, a false positive for Charlotte just, you know, getting blown up and thinking it's all their fault when really it's just, you know, an environment that really just is so punishing for pitchers. I don't think there's anything you can learn, especially, like, in a confidence-building situation. I think Charlotte's the last place you go to get confidence. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your question, and that's a really good point, Jim. Charlotte is not the next place you want to go as far as a pitcher, to get confidence. If you want to, as a hitter, yeah. you want to feel good about yourself. Like Zach Collins. Go hit in Charlotte. Yeah, yes. Zach, Zach Collins is, uh, you know, putting that time to work. Gavin Sheets, you know, he he put his, uh, you know, when he, when he headed back to Charlotte, he picked up where he left off. Like, it's great for hitters, but I think, uh, yeah, Charlotte is just not a great place to go. You know, maybe for an inning at a time. But I think if you're trying to go five, you know, yeah, and I guess Kopech wouldn't be going five, but still just... Yeah, this time of year, especially when you see Charlotte's losing guys and signing guys basically off, you know, other professional teams to fill out rosters. Um, just I think there's right now a professional baseball shortage uh, in September, and uh, Charlotte's probably not the best place to go for quality baseball. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Azenrec, and Azenrec wrote to us with much of the rotation on the injured list this week. Will Dallas Keuchel be given as long as a leash as possible to save the bullpen? Related, will Keuchel give up more than 10 runs in his next start? I don't think so, just because, you know, fortunately Oakland is a hard place to hit the ball at the park or more challenging and there are more foul balls that get caught. So I think, uh, yeah, another, you know, yeah, you know, maybe a 6-0 hole is impossible, but I would say like double digit seems out of reach. You know, with Keuchel, I think it's a touchy situation just because he does seem to be a well-respected veteran and, you know, it's tough. You know, it's it's a case where you have expanded rosters, you have pitchers you can swap in and out, you might be getting rotation help. So maybe, you know, it makes sense to go like to a Mike Wright if it's a, a case where the White Sox are losing big again with Keuchel on the mound. But, uh, you know, should it be like a slugfest and should it be like, you know, should Keuchel go 
three innings and give up five runs, but it's like five, five. Do you want him to go a fourth? Like that's, I think the tough situation with you know, managing a guy like him and feeling like you're punishing or not, you know, not punishing, but just, you know, compromising the team in order to try to show faith in Keuchel or, you know, are you being cruel? <laughs> are you being like, he's got nothing. We're exposing how little he has and that's mean and counterproductive and also hurts the team. Like it's, you can interpret management in, in uh, you know, different ways. And I think that's the, uh, the hardest thing for a manager to handle uh, late in the year. And especially when it comes to a veteran who has been, you know, for, you know, for Keuchel's White Sox career, you know, one and a half years of it, or you know, depending on whether you count the 2020 season as one, but either way, like a, a season and uh, a half, like, you know, he's been, what the White Sox needed, you know, maybe not exactly what they wanted. You know, I think Zach Wheeler, his performance was what they wanted, but you know, Keiko's been helpful. Uh, just these these last uh, two months have not been helpful, and uh, it's ideally he would be the guy they could kind of fade out. But it does seem like you know, if if Keiko's pitch count is reasonable, and if they're not, um, you know, running the risk of him hurting himself, uh, you know, whether it's you. Know, whether they detect an arm problem based on where his, you know, his velocity is going or his release point is, or what they're picking up as mechanics or uh, a case where just, um, you know, his pitch count is absurd. You know, like I think that's a case where they're not going to have him wear it, but you know, it should be a case where they're losing like six, two and he's, you know, his pitch counts reasonable. Just give him a couple big homers. I think, do think they'll try to push him to go five if they can, but I, I think they will have, you know, but, based on September rosters being expanded and some guys they can swap in and out. I don't think they're going to go overboard with it. Over, under, push. 12 innings covered by Jimmy Lambert, Dallas Keuchel, and Ronaldo Lopez in the mm. upcoming series against Oakland, Jim. Which one are you taking? Sorry, I'm just doing some quick math here. <laughs> quick arithmetic. I'm going to go... Hmm. I'm going to go under. Good. That's a good over-under, though, because it makes me think, but just... Yeah, if yeah. Lambert only goes two, that basically asks a lot more of that. So I think, yeah, Lambert being the guy, the third guy, it's not necessarily like a lack of faith in Lopez or Keuchel necessarily as much as it is Lambert not asking that much of him. If I said 10, would you go over? Yes. And that's hoping that Keuchel can get through five? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if Lambert goes two, that's five from Keuchel, four from Lopez or vice versa. Really, really could use Dallas Keuchel having a good start against Oakland, folks. Really could. Not just for the team, but for him personally. It's been bad for 11-plus starts now uh, for Dallas Keuchel. So hopefully in his next bullpen session, he figures out what's causing issues and he can move forward. And as Jim mentioned, that he's got some plan of attack if the at-bat lasts more than three pitches. But as in rec, thank you so much for your question. Staying on the topic of Dallas Keuchel, Chef Eric wrote to us, is there anyone else noteworthy besides Dallas Keuchel that would not make the postseason roster? I don't think so. I think before the month started, I would have said Jake Lamb just because of his redundancy. You know, if Moncada proves fully healthy, but since the White Sox cut him, I think that basically shows where their thinking is. I think if I had to pick one, you know, trying to pick the most vulnerable player on the roster who seems like a good bet, I wouldn't say Reynaldo Lopez is out of the woods just yet. 
because the way he looked in his last start looked a lot like 2019 Lopez, somewhat like 2020 Lopez. Like the velocity faded. He had to throw more sliders. I don't think a slider is that good, um, especially when the fastball is 93. Like I think it's better when it's like a change of pace pitch along with a breaking pitch. You know, when hitters are on guard for like the 97 running up and in like a right-handed you know, hitter who has to be on guard for that. But when he's throwing like 93, that's when I think everything about him becomes less special and balls get hit harder. I think the difference is that he's being more competitive with his pitches. Like he's not letting uh, games get away from him before hitters prove something against him. Like I, I think that's what I will say is like his command is better. He's throwing more strikes. He's he's attacking more. But I think against a good offense or an offense that can hit the home run, like I think that could catch up to him. So I'm going to be watching his start closely just to see, you know, how he maintains his velocity. Because at the end of that, uh, you know, when when they pulled him, when Larusa pulled him, like yeah, he was his fastball hit 96 once in that inning, but it was mainly around 93, 94. And I think that Lopez is still, even with command improvements, not all that special. This is non-injury, right? For non injured list purposes of guys not making the postseason roster right to the divisional series. Okay. Yeah, this is mainly performance slash use. Right. Otherwise, like I'd say like Adam Angle, <laughs> like, you know, just based on how slow his process is going. Like, are we for sure? Billy Hamilton's going to make the postseason roster. I'm unsure about him making the roster, even though he does have once he's got two sets of skills that can get him on the postseason roster with his glove and his speed running the bases. I I think that pinch runner could loom large, especially if angles, not all the way back. I I like your Ronaldo Lopez. I get Matt Foster. I don't think is making the postseason roster. Yeah, I think that that spot's kind of interchangeable based on right. freshness. But yeah, Ronaldo Lopez is the one. That's a good pick, Jim. But Chef Eric, I, it's pretty straightforward right now with the White Sox postseason roster. But this is a good question. Really good question. I appreciate that you wrote to us, Chef Eric. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions from our Patreon supporters this week for P.O. Sox. Again, if you have a question or topic that you would like to ask in an upcoming episode of the Sox Machine podcast, the best way of doing so is signing up and becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they just get more. They get exclusive content. They get bonus content as well. They get an ad-free version of both the podcast and the website, and they get an opportunity to purchase the new sag, the the new socks machine swag items. And Jim, you have a huge update on that front. Yes, if you hadn't checked socks machine, I posted a big update on, on a few fronts. One is that we do have new swag in the form of engraved pint glasses. Like, even if you got a pint glass before, um, this one's uh, different, etched into the glass. Um, you know, a, a classy look, I, I should say. So, um, you know, there's that. And uh, the other update that goes along with that and why I announced them at the same time is that we do have annual memberships now. I know that was a, uh, a demand from a lot of people. Uh, Patreon did not offer annual memberships when I relaunched Socks Machine, but over the last year, they, they rolled it out and worked out some kinks. So I was able to match up uh, what I could do with it <laughs> after uh, seeing how it worked out for Patreon. So now we offer 
annual memberships. Basically, at no matter the tier from $2 through $10, uh, uh, basically you uh, get 9% off, which is the one month free. So basically you pay for 11 months and get 12 uh, for a membership. So you get extra content, you get an ad-free version of the site and show. And if you support us at the $10 tier annually, you'll get a pint glass sent your way. So uh, you can check it out at SoxMachine.com. And we had a number of people sign up with the annual plans. And, and uh, I'd like to give some shout outs to some new members because I feel like we should do that. So uh, yeah. shout outs to, the, uh, to Joe, Arthur, Dennis, Dan, and Kale all signed up uh, the first day of annual plans. So we appreciate that. But because we don't want to leave uh, incumbent Sox Machine supporters out, leave them out cold, I'll work from the bottom of the list. <laughs> And uh, and give shouts to to Andrew and and Fuster Cluck and Eric, from uh, for their support from day one. So we will be uh, catching up over the course of weeks uh, to make sure that uh, yeah, we are um, make sure we cover everybody. So thank you for your support, and yeah, check us out at Patreon.com/socksmachine or uh, socksmachine.com/patreon. Either way, you'll find out uh, what you need in terms of supporting us and learning more about Pine Glass. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe and listen to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We also do videos like Sox Machine Live. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and you're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.